Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be considered as a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Adam Childers, back with a podcast known as Briefly Legal, brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. Loyal listeners, I'm so glad to be back. I'm sorry we've been a bit off schedule lately. After three calendar years of avoiding COVID-19, it finally came home to roost for me, and I spent a week on my couch not having a good time watching daytime television and uh, yearning to get back in the office, but that's where I'm I'm at now. I'm here in the crow's nest and happy to be back uh, and podcasting and happy to be here with a member of my uh, section here at the law firm, and that's uh, J.C. Booth, a member of the Labor and Employment Group. Say hello to everybody, J.C. Hey, everyone. It's J.C. Booth. Happy to be here. This is my first time on a podcast, so first time on this podcast as well. I've been an avid listener for the last year, so glad to get to join in the fun. See, I love it. You've transformed yourself from one of our loyal listeners to, uh, you know, a, a member of the podcasting crew. So glad to have you here in studio and glad for you to be a part of all of this. And, and what JC and I decided to sit down and talk about today is an aspect of employment law that is really prevalent, uh, but sometimes doesn't get as much discussion. And that is retaliation. Uh, we talk all the time about, you know, harassment discrimination. Those are the things that like really kind of grab the headlines. But retaliation, as JC will talk about today, is really moving up the ranks in terms of numbers of charges of discrimination and percentage of overall employment claims that are out there. So I thought, let's bring in JC. She's a second year uh, lawyer in our labor and employment section. In addition to doing our standard labor and employment, she also helps Mary Snyder, who chairs our business immigration practice. She's a well-rounded attorney with promising days ahead of her, and and she's recently done some uh, articles in some of the the local papers talking about this very topic. So I thought let's let's tee it up for the podcast and and take a deeper dive. So let's jump on into it, JC, and and let's start first by just kind of talking about retaliation as a general concept. I I mentioned at the outset, uh, you know, we know generally about sexual harassment or or, or racial discrimination, but retaliation can really come in all kinds of forms and shapes and and, and comes from different statutory uh, bases. So talk to us about that. What do you think of generally when you think of retaliation as as an employment claim? Yeah, so retaliation is one of those interesting claims, namely because it's kind of taken on a meaning, just a general everyday life meaning. When we think of retaliation, we think of someone is is doing us dirty, right? They come in and they wrong us for something that we did. But it really has more of a textbook definition or a legal definition, which really says that an employer unlawfully takes action against an individual for exercising rights under the EEO laws or other laws that have carve-outs for retaliation. Which makes it a lot broader, right? Because that could mean uh, you're taking protected activity for reasons that might be related to race, religion, to, uh, you know, other protected categories. I mean, it can be much broader. Is that fair? I think that's a very fair assessment. It, it's a broad claim in terms of how the 
different elements are applied. So it really has three elements, one being an employee has to engage in a protected activity. So either by participating in an EEOC investigation or making a formal complaint or really just opposing discrimination. So pointing out to an employer that they believe they've faced some sort of discrimination or harassment. And then after that happens, they have to face an adverse action. So that's a little bit different. That can be a lot of different things. It could be an ultimate employment action. So you could be terminated after you've made a report of discrimination, or you could lose a promotion, or it could be something as small as changing your work schedule. Yeah. And so what I'm hearing from all of that is, okay, it's as easy for an employee to make a claim of retaliation as to walk into the office one day and say, I think that you employer are doing X, Y, and Z wrong. And now I have now engaged in a protected activity. If X, Y, and Z in that scenario uh, described a, a, a protected activity, but then there's probably about a six month window around me where If I were to have any of those things that you described, maybe I don't get the promotion I want. Maybe I don't get the wage increase. Maybe I don't get to be on the team that I want to be on. There's at least the possibility to connect those dots and say, I've got a retaliation claim, which I mentioned in the outset, and you can put some flesh on these bones. I think that we've got a really big rise, exponential rise in the number of retaliation claims. Is that right? That is correct. So really for the last 20 years, retaliation claims have climbed. And for the last three years, they've been over 50% of all cases filed have either included a retaliation claim or been the sole basis for an employee's claim to the EEOC or even to the other organizations. They've been the number one filed claim for retaliation. And yet it doesn't get talked about as much as, say, sexual harassment uh, with the Me Too movement shining a light on it, and deservedly so. But it's amazing that the number one claim out there is not the one that we talk the most about. Yep, but not for long. So as of recent, actually, just a couple months ago, on November 10th, the EEOC, the DOL, and the NLRB have sort of shined the light on retaliation. And this has kind of been prompted by the Biden administration. Specifically, they have wanted to do whatever they can to end workplace retaliation. So what we've seen is sort of all these agencies coming together, singing Kumbaya and having this joint initiative is what they call it to end workplace retaliation. So a joint initiative. Now we've got the Department of Labor. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and then the National Labor Relations Board. And I would remind uh, our listeners out there, even if you're not a unionized setting, the NLRB still has jurisdiction over you as it relates to acts of retaliation. So uh, what's come out of that initiative so far, JC? We haven't seen a whole lot of movement yet since November, and I think that's for a lot of reasons. I think our agencies have been busy dealing with our other hot button issues with dealing with COVID-19 and the vaccine or test laws. But at this point, the only thing we have seen is the agencies, the EEOC specifically has released COVID-19 guidance, which includes now a section for retaliation. And in that section, we really just restated the same sort of retaliation guidance that they have done in the past. Um, But they made it clear that there can be 
retaliation cases that arise out of issues related to COVID-19. And so that was the EEOC's first foray into kind of making retaliation front and center. But I gather that from uh, reading some of the materials you've been putting out for our business clients, that there's something else on the horizon that, that is a little bit more foreboding. The biggest thing that we think we can anticipate, and this is the one thing that in the announcement of this joint initiative, the EEOC has actually spoken on, is that we can expect a memorandum of understanding between all three agencies. And what's special about that is it hasn't ever happened before. So in the past, we've just had a memorandum of, of understanding between the EEOC and the NLRB, and then a separate one between the EEOC and the DOL. We've never had one between all three of them. And really what the memorandum of understanding does is it sort of lays out the land, lays out the guidelines and the framework for how these agencies work together. Because with a lot of these laws, there is a lot of overlap. And so these agencies may get, you know, one claim filed for FMLA, but it may also include a disability claim. So in that sense, you're dealing with two separate agencies, so they have to know how to work together in those situations. Yeah, and and that's something that can be a, a bit scary for employers out there. I've had more than a share uh, of clients who've been, you know, say they're going through a Department of Labor audit and some claim of race discrimination gets discussed. And the client will ask, is this going to wind up with the EEOC? And without any memorandum of understanding that compels that to happen, what I usually say is, you know, it kind of just depends on, you know, the mood of uh, and and really the interrelationship between the investigators and, and their particular offices. But what I'm hearing you say is there might be something more formalized that might actually compel the two agencies or three agencies to share that information, which means, you know, more exposure to liability for the, the business community. That very well could be the case. Um, one thing we've seen is these agencies coming out and saying they're going to start using all their resources and all their tools to the fullest extent to end retaliation. And one of their biggest tools is certainly that memorandum of understanding. So at this point, we don't know what's what it's all going to include, but we can assume that it definitely could have uh, more scrutiny on our employers and the actions they're taking and sort of more work in between the different agencies. Well, when we know that there's a storm a-brewing, then that means that we should take some steps to prepare for it. So that's the, uh, I guess, the big question that comes out of this is, JC, what should the business community be thinking about in terms of preparing for, you know, this increased scrutiny on retaliation in the workplace? Yep, there's certainly some sort of key best practices that we here in labor and employment always stress. First being, of course, updating your policies. So I know a lot of us right now have taken a closer look at our policies in terms of COVID-19 and workplace restrictions and things like that, but maybe our retaliation section has not been as closely revised. So if people could, employers could make sure that that is up to date um, and detailed and also written in a way that's easier for our employees to understand. And not only easy for them to understand, but what about all these folks that are out there working virtually? Is that, should that be taken into consideration? Certainly. We want to make sure that these employees can actually access this. And it's not something that maybe when they start their job, it's not just something you hand them a handbook and they get to see these policies. You want to make sure that 
if you have remote workers, maybe you have some sort of online portal where they can easily get on and, and access it that way. Absolutely. And what about training? That's got to be a component to this, too. Training is a big component of this. Uh, we in labor and employment do a lot of training, so we will travel out to our employers and do trainings. But um, there should also be a lot of internal training. So maybe with your human resources department, that's something you can do. Um, one of the toughest things with retaliation is there's no magic words. So a lot of times you'll have an employee come to a supervisor and it's kind of hard to distinguish between workplace drama that they're discussing <laughs> and something that is actually engaging in a protective activity. So I advise that you provide training to your supervisors that sort of displays those tough issues that are hard to spot so that they can be better prepared moving forward. I'm glad you mentioned that because oftentimes this kind of training is given to human resources professionals, and that's great. Uh, sometimes it's given to you know C-suite in individuals, and that's great too. But what you just said resonates with me, which is if the frontline supervisors don't understand the difference between, as you put it, kind of the daily drama and something that could actually trigger an investigation and be a protected activity, well, then it's all going to break down before it even gets to those other individuals who may have a better idea of how to deal with these things. So well said, and I think those are good thoughts for dealing uh, with you know a, a cause of action that as you said, for decades has been one of the number one claims out there, but now is getting the attention that it potentially deserves from all these different uh, agencies that are out there. Now, JC, before we we close, you, you, you've already mentioned you're a first-time podcaster, a long-time listener, so you certainly will, will know and be prepared for this final segment of the show, which is Get to Know Your Crow. And in Get to Know Your Crow, we uh, give our guests the opportunity to let our listeners know something about them, uh, peel back the uh, you know the curtain just enough to, to find out something odd, interesting, uh, of note about them. So we did a little, uh, a little pregame work. I know that uh, just enough to be dangerous, but tell our listeners, are you a boxer of some sort? Um, I like to think that sometimes. Uh, I still have all of my equipment. I actually used to train boxing while I was in college. I used to do fitness classes. And so I'd be out there holding the mitts and running bags and doing cardio work. And I still have, you know, my mitts and I still practice probably every week now. So That is impressive. Now, for, for those of you, you, you don't have the benefit of being able to see JC at this particular point. I would say that JC's on the slider side, you know, but, <laughs> but, but now I'm understanding that she's probably packs a punch and I'm going to be looking out for that left jab when I'm handing out assignments. And she gives me that look that tells me she, uh, you know, she's got enough on her plate already, but yeah. uh, that's impressive. And uh, it goes to show again that uh, there's often a lot more to our, attorneys than just the smarts that come with uh, law school and uh, and being an attorney. So thank you for, for letting us all know about that. So um, loyal listeners, it's been excellent to get back here in the crow's nest and <laughs> return from sickness and get back into the, uh, the swing of things. JC, we really loved hearing from you uh, in this show. We're glad uh, that you're keeping your finger on the pulse of topics like this for the employers out there. And thanks for being our guest. And for 
all the listeners, that's a wrap for now, but please keep us in mind uh, the next time that you have a legal topic that you want to know more about and just send your ideas to legal at crowdunlevy.com and you might just hear that very topic on a future episode. We're always going through those and looking for great ideas. So until the next time, stay healthy out there, friends. We look forward to the next time with you here on Briefly Legal.